Hi guys, Tammy here. So just a quick note as you listen to this episode. In the beginning of the episode, I mentioned our last episode or I make references to our last episode. So we switched the order of our episodes. So just keep in mind that I'm referring to episode two and not episode three, not the, the most recent episode. So that's just a quick thing to keep in mind. Thanks. Welcome to In These Moments. My name is Timmy Ogunura. And I'm Willie Mano. Similarly to our last episode, this episode also touches on the types of encounters that change lives. Discretion is absolutely advised, as some of the details of this story can be triggering. Someone actually told me that the last episode we released felt like a movie and like something you would imagine happening to someone that is far removed from you and not someone you know. And when I think about this story that we're about to get into, I think that's part of why I felt like telling this story and why I felt like telling it was very important. Because sometimes the things that appear so far removed from us aren't always so. In fact, these occurrences don't often happen the way that we imagine that they happen. And they more importantly happen a lot more common than we could have imagined. Well, I know that you've, or you've heard bits and clips of this story. I've heard just a little bit. I try to avoid it as much as I can because I, I don't want to spoil the, the experience. So I try to avoid it. But um, I'm expecting a good story from what you've told me already. So that should be fun. Without further ado, let us go ahead and get into this story. just recently graduated with my master's mm. and so my mom went to Nigeria one time and she came back she's like oh I know this guy a pharmacist handsome I'm like mom no no mm. but she was so persistent long story short we started talking phone dating for about a couple of months he was just doing all the right things mm. like you know the time difference is like five hours six hours he would wait until I'm ready to go to bed before oh. he goes to bed and we'll pray together I wake up in the morning to bible verses we'll read them together I mean yeah. I I had friends that were non-Nigerians asking me, does he have a brother? And he's a pharmacist. And then he also did his West transfer that deemed him a pharmacist in America as well. So once he comes to America, he was just supposed to just take an exam and become a, like, he didn't have to go back to school. I went to Nigeria and he planned this trip to Abuja. Like I'm from Edo State. Mm -hmm. So I was there for about two weeks. And then my last few days there, he planned a trip for just me and him to go to Abuja. And on the way back from Abuja to Lagos for me to come back to the States, he mm -hmm. proposed on the plane. What? Yes, girl. It you was had a romantic. plane proposal? He, I had a plane proposal. Like he had everyone's attention. And then he did some like corny little um something something about the plane and being up here. I just Girl, I started oh, crying. It was a speech. It was like a speech. Oh. I know, right? I said yes mm -hmm. and came back here and everybody thought I was crazy. We were talking for, I want to say, maybe like four or five months. Okay. So everybody thought I was possessed. <laughs> they thought like, he witched you. But I'm like, no, I even lost some friends because of that. Wow. You know, because when you're in love, you think you're in love. Like mm. whoever tries to come against that is your mm. enemy. Mm. You know, so and I just thought this was the best thing. And he, my grandmother was sick at the time. So he'll go and buy her medication. Wow. He'll go buy pepper soup. Like he'll come wow. visit her every other weekend. And my grandmother raised me when I was in Nigeria. That was my heart. So when he was doing that, that's how that went down. 
he started putting pressure on me to start working on his papers. I was a citizen, but I didn't, you know, being young, I didn't, I didn't, didn't care about citizenship and I didn't even know what was the process. So I had mm-hmm. to get a lawyer. I think I paid like five or $6,000 wow. for the lawyer. And they started working on his process to come to the States. And I went back again. So we had planned a whole wedding in less than a year. My mm-hmm. mom planned it. Everyone was involved. My sisters, my brothers, everyone went down for the wedding. We did the wedding August 27th. I don't remember being happy. I can honestly say it didn't feel right, but it felt like something that I was supposed to be doing. He felt my parents should have been doing more for him. He's Catholic and he wanted us to get married in his church. He felt the Catholic church would be beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I remember we went to go see my mom's church and he was like, what kind of nonsense is this? Look at the the sand everywhere. There's this. And he was like, I'm disappointed in your mother. And... Prior to that, it didn't feel right. But I kept on going with it. Come on, arrangements were already made. Money was already spent. I can't come and say, Mom, I don't want to marry this guy anymore. Before that, he was just doing certain things. Like, he'll put pressure on me um, about making sure his papers. Like, that was a big thing for him. To the point where he even got in touch with the lawyer. He went into my emails, found the lawyer's information. He was trying to secure jobs here before he even got here. Things like that weren't sitting well with me. But to be honest, I must speak... Now for women that probably were in my position before, when you're so in love, you're blinded to a lot of those things. Mm. It's when you get out of the relationship and you start looking back at situations and things that happen, you're like, oh my God. That happened. That happened. That yeah. was that was the sign. Yeah. That was when I was supposed to walk away. Mm. The day of the wedding, everything went wrong that day because we stayed in a hotel. The girls stayed in a hotel. And for some reason, there was no water, not cold, no hot water, nothing. So the wedding was delayed like hours. I didn't walk in to the church a happy bride. And I remember driving to the reception. And over here, I don't know if that's changed, but like when a bride and groom gets married, they get to eat when mm-hmm. everyone is eating. Like they'll bring you your plate mm-hmm. and you eat. And we're in the limo and he's telling me that we're not going to eat there. Like we're going to eat in the car. And I think he said that's how they do it. And I was like, no, I want to enjoy my food with mm-hmm. my guests. I'm going to mm-hmm. eat. He's like, no, we're not. And he called me a bitch. It was like a light bulb went off in my head. Hmm. All the dots connected at that very moment. All the little arguments, all the belittling that I didn't realize that he was doing to me. Hmm. Everything connected at that very moment. And I remember we got to the reception hall and the planner brings us the food. And I just ate in silence because I'm like, oh my God, this is... Like, I've, I just said I do. And like, he didn't notice. He didn't notice a change in your... He didn't care for the change. Ooh. He didn't care for the change because that's who he was. It's like the minute we I said I do, or we said I do, he became who he true, truly was. Like, mm. it just revealed. And after that, it was just snowball. I remember being in a reception and everyone was having a ball and I, I, I was miserable in my wedding. And I remember when we did our first dance and we're dancing, you know, I love to dance. Mm-hmm. And he t- holds me real tight in my hand, like, don't make me look bad because he didn't know how to dance. So what? he didn't want me to dance. Like he didn't want me over, outshine, over, outshine him. Obviously there's like 300 people looking at me, right? So yeah. I couldn't really show my feelings, yeah. but I just remember saying, oh my God, mm-hmm. like what have I gotten myself into? into? And by the way, I got pregnant on my wedding night. And then three months after the wedding, he Mm -hmm. comes and joined me. He joins me, I believe it was like November 11th of 2013. I pick him up from JFK. He wants to drive to New Jersey from JFK. 
we fought about that. Someone that has never been to this country a day in his life before. We got into an argument because he wanted to drive from JFK to to New New Jersey. Two places that he's not familiar with. No. The next day, we got into an argument because he wanted, he came with, I think, $500. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to spend $500 on a phone. The day after that, his friend from New York came to visit him. That was my first bitch in America because I didn't allow the friend that came with a female to stay in the house. His second day with his new wife. This is the house that I had to get because he refused to live. At the time, my parents had a two family. They're like, oh, you guys can stay here because they don't, they've relocated to Nigeria and they just Mm -hmm. come and go. So I had the whole house to myself. Mm -hmm. He's like, I would never live in your family house. And he wasn't showing all of this pride before. No, he was not. The signs were there. I'm not going to lie and say the signs were were not there. For example, he stayed at my mom's place in Lagos. He was working with Chevron as an intern. And he would just make comments like, yeah, your mom couldn't clean this. Your mom couldn't do that. Your mom couldn't do this. Mm. You know, and then, of course, I will sugarcoat and just, like, make him feel comfortable. We had a picture perfect, something I can post on Instagram, something that everyone would like and make cute comments about. I see it now, you know, for some some of my friends, and i just like, oh, my God. But not to get off track, so when he came here... He didn't care that his friend was in the house. He was cursing me. All types of words was coming out of his mouth. With his friend there? With his friend. I think the friend ended up just staying at the house that day because I'm like, you know what? This is not what I signed up for. I didn't know this was what marriage was going to be. Mm-hmm. And of course, as a cultured woman, you're not, you're not supposed to say anything to your family, right? One day, I remember getting ready to go to church when I was making ogbono soup. And his mom was is a caterer back home. So he swears that... Everything that I make is wrong. If it's not being made the way he, his mom made it, it's it's not the right way. So I remember putting water and like, you know, stirring the pot. And I closed it for like two seconds. He took the cap, threw it off. My nieces were there because we were getting ready to go to church. Mm-hmm. And just started screaming. Saying what? That it wasn't perfect? That it wasn't perfect. Like, yeah. sis, stand here and watch me make it. So anytime I did cook, he would stop me and tell me to stand and watch him make it. I remember that was the first time he choked me. This would be within a month of him being here. He choked me to the bed and, you know, we were fighting. Um, Obviously, he was bigger than me. So, And I was pregnant too, right? I I think I was like four months pregnant when that happened. And I remember another time he spat in my face. Oh, no. He took saliva. Like, I remember having a pink jacket and I was on my way to my office. And I remember just wiping the spit off my jacket. And then he looked at me, and I will never forget what he said. He said, I'm going to destroy your life. I'm going to destroy you. Then he did it again, and he sped in my face again. I remember just shaking, and I called my mom. My mom was in Nigeria at the time. Like, mom, he just sped in my face. She said, what? He did what? At that time, my parents were like, okay, at this point, like, have the baby and just get out of there. Or hopefully, if the baby come, he'll change. They weren't at the point of leave him. They eventually got to the point. But at that time, it was like, no, you guys can still manage just marriage. Everyone goes through it. You can make it work. Yeah. He picked up the phone. Mommy, she's lying. She's the one that just spat in my face. He got to the point where he would lie so much that I would believe his lie. Oh. I'm like, hold on. Am I, am I going crazy? The abuse got so bad to the point I started recording every conversation we have with each other. I started recording every interaction because family had got involved. Right. His mom would call me and yelling at me, what are you trying to do? You brought my, my son to America to kill him? He would lie so much and he was such a good liar that I'm mm. like, oh my God, I must be the one going crazy. 
I remember one time, so we got into a fight and he started faking a panic attack and it was in the middle of a snowstorm and he basically was looking for attention because I wasn't speaking to him. The ambulance came in the middle of a snowstorm and they're like, what's going on? Michael, are you doing, are you okay? What's going on? And I called one of the people to the room and I'm like, listen, this is, he's, he's fine. He's fine. He's just... And you knew. Oh, I knew. Oh, I... Like, it got to the point where I knew. Was he theatrical? Very. Wow. I recorded it. I still have all of this in my archive at home. He was... I can't breathe. Oh, oh my God. They're like, what's going on? You don't have any medical problems. Are you asthmatic? Anything? No, no. All of this for attention. All of this for attention. So they finally took him to the emergency room. I didn't go with him because I knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm like, I'm not going. It's fine. You guys can take him. Mm-hmm. They took him. He came back later that afternoon, coffee in his hand, documents in his hand, like discharge documents. And he takes them and hides them. And I just, I act like I didn't see where he hid them. I go into his little documentation mm-hmm. and I see that they took him to the psych ward because they checked everything and he's fine, but he's insisting that he must go to so they took him to the site ward and he was supposed to go back for a revaluation and never went wow. but unknowingly to him he's thinking he's gonna sit in a hospital bed and have a whole story of have he, he had a, a panic attack that is insane yes was there ever a point where you tried to have a conversation like you know a, like a why my ex-husband will hit me lock me in the closet push me do all sort of things and then that night, he will come and buy me roses. And he will tell me, I'm sorry. It oh, won't happen again. he was a again. classic abuser. Oh, yes. One time, he pushed me in the tub. And then he immediately calls my, my older sister and tells my sister, your sister's about to kill herself. I just want to make sure you guys know. No. Just in case she dies and you know I'm not the one that killed no. her. Oh, I can call my sister right now for home speaker. She will attest. When he did these things, he will like, make sure he had a witness. Like He'll call someone. And then whatever he did to me, he'll say, I did it to him. What really broke the camel's back for me, before we got married, he asked me for my blood type. And I've never been sick, (laughs) thank God. Mm. I've never had to go to the hospital for like, you know, an emergency blood transfusion or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So in my mind, or for what my mom told me, I was like AA or whatever, you Mm -hmm. know, like my blood type is AA. He's like, cool. And he was AS. Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal in Nigeria. Yeah. That's a big, big, big deal. Like being a carrier is a huge deal. So Mm -hmm. sometimes some churches don't even allow you to get married. Mm -hmm. And so when I got pregnant, we're like, okay, well, cool. I'm not a carrier. You are, you know, the odds are zero of uh, of this child being sickle cell. When obviously you're you're pregnant, so I'm doing like my checkups and things like that. And they, I did a um, generic counseling and Mm -hmm. found out that I was AS, that I was a carrier. And he was there that day when he found out. When I said the devil came out even more, because his whole... What in the doctor's office? So, like, he didn't... He wasn't acting up being there. Like, you know, he's mm. rubbing my stomach. He's being a good husband. Oh, yes. Oh, so he was putting up a front oh, yes. in public. Oh, yes. Oh, he wasn't... He wasn't mean or in public. Oh, no, he was the best husband in public. That's why my friends didn't know. And then they're like, oh, you have to do an amniocentesis. You know, it's best. You can choose not to. But, you know, you need to know if the baby's going to have any, you know, genetic dis- disorder. And I'm like, okay, we scheduled it and did it two weeks prior to. Those two weeks before we did the test, he told me all the reasons why 
I used him. I wanted to get pregnant. I wanted to get pregnant to a pharmacist that I tricked him, that I knew that I knew my blood type and I tricked him. I was just so confused. Like, how did I trick you? You wanted to marry a pharmacist. You wanted to marry a, he'll call himself a doctor. Hmm? You wanted to marry a doctor. You wanted to marry a doctor. Your family tricked me. Your mother used me. If this baby comes back to have sickle cell, you're going to abort this child. So you can just imagine the hell to think that my husband is telling me that he would never father a sickle cell child. And just to put it out there, my older sister is sickle cell. And she's going to be 38 and she has two healthy children. She's perfectly fine. So for me, like the mentality of sickle cell that Nigerians back in Nigeria have is not the same thing I had. Mm -hmm. You know, it would not have changed the love that I would have for my child. Mm -hmm. So to be hearing that I would have to abort this child because of something I had no control over. It was like hell for me. The three weeks in total of waiting for the results. The results finally came and she was not. He went back to being the best husband, just like that. So I got to the point where my older brother found out everything that was going on. He's like, hell no, I'm not leaving you there. I'm not leaving you there. I'm coming to get you. You're gonna come stay with me. So he came and he got me and my ex-husband tried to fight him that they were leaving. He thinks he's in Nigeria. I'm going to call the police on you that you're taking my wife. You know, my brother was like, you know what? For your sake, Faith, I'm not going to fight this man. I'm going to just walk away. So I packed my bags and we drove to Virginia. My first night out there, I couldn't sleep. My brother, you know, he's, he stayed in the, he slept in the living room and I slept in his bedroom and I couldn't breathe. Hmm. So I went onto his balcony just to get some fresh air. I don't even know how I, I just saw an opportunity to just end all of my pain. I didn't want my child to come into the situation of what her mother was going through. I didn't want her to think this was life for any woman. You know, at the time I'm like, I'm going to leave, but everyone's telling me it's okay to stay. So I can't leave. So at that point, this was going to be my life. And I didn't want it to be my life. This is not something I saw in my household. I didn't see my mom hit my dad. I didn't see my dad hit my mom. And I'm like, this is going to be my life. So... It felt so good being up there. And I can say, I never told my brother this. My brother saved my life that day. Apparently when I opened the slide, you know, he lived in one of those like skyrise buildings. And I thought I closed the slider door. And then so when he was sleeping in the living room. Ah, the breeze. The breeze woke him up. And he came out there like, what are you doing? He didn't know. Till today, he has no idea what was in my head before he walked out. It's not something I wanted to say to him yeah. that before you came out here, this is what was in my head. So he doesn't know. Anyway, so while I was in Virginia, he would send me messages like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave. I'm going back to Nigeria. I just want you to come home. I don't want you to be out there. I don't know where you are. I want the baby to be okay. He started texting me from his Nigerian number. And he said, okay, I've gone back to Nigeria. I've left. I want you to just come back to your house. I want you to come stay. I want you to be in your own bed. I want you to be comfortable. I'm telling my brother, like, oh, he's, he left. I can go back. I went back home because I'm thinking he's, he's gone. He mm-hmm. left. He took our wedding album with him. He packed up clothes. He had a suitcase. Like, I walked in. His stuff was gone. Walked into the house. I settled down for, like, 30 minutes. Then I hear somebody walking from the basement. Mm-hmm. It was him. 
So he never left. He never left, but he was texting me from his Nigeria number. That you didn't even know was still active. Exactly. I'm like, okay, so in my head, like, how can somebody be texting from Nigeria? You know, the mm-hmm. 234 number. Because mm-hmm. he's like, I'm back in Nigeria now. I've yeah. left. So he comes in with his bag packed up. He didn't say anything. He unpacked. And then he goes in the kitchen and starts making beans and plantain. And then he starts singing this song. You go up in Nigeria? Mm-hmm. First to do, and now they pain. Second to do. Then he comes and he serves me food. He's like, I made you food. But he's singing like, I'm going to get you back. It's an antagonistic song. And he's feeding me. He's feeding me food, but he's singing this song. And I'm like, "What, what is going on? We'll be right back. If you like what you're listening to and would like to support us, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and tell us how you like the episode. This helps more people come across the podcast so we can continue bringing you more stories. I'm going to be honest with you. It got to the point where I became afraid of him. So I ate the food because I knew what would happen if I didn't. I felt like I was in jail, but I ate the food because I just, I didn't, ha- I was, I didn't have any more energy. To yeah, fight. And you didn't know what would happen if you didn't. Yeah. A week after that, my friends took me out. We went to Red Lobster. You know, everyone, my friends are trying to cheer me at this point. You know, no one talks about it with me because it's like a Nigerian taboo thing. Like once you're married, we know you can't get out. Right? And you can't talk you about can't it. Talk you can't talk about can't it. put your business yes. out there. So my friends, like, knew. And they did like, he's still her husband. So we don't want to talk against him, you mm-hmm. know? So they were being supportive. Like, the little friends that I did have left at that point. Um, So a best friend of mine took me out. We went to Red Lobster. And she dropped me back off at home. And we got into an argument that night. The difference with that night was... My car was in an accident. My secretary Mm -hmm. was supposed to come to Virginia to pick me up because I was pregnant. I didn't want to drive by myself or take the train Mm -hmm. by myself. So she was supposed to come to Virginia to pick me up with my car. Mm -hmm. She got into a minor accident that ended up totaling the car. So Mm -hmm. she was fine, but the car was totaled. And this was like a couple of days before I got back. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a car for like three weeks. That night, down to an argument... Usually, I would get into my car and I would drive away to my sister's house. But I couldn't because I didn't have a car outside. There was no car. There was, so I called my sister. She was at work. She's like, I can't come get you. You have to call the cops. So the cops have been coming to our house, but they never came for domestic violence. They came because he, he like, faked the episode and, mm-hmm. like, little, little things like that. Where when he gets there, like, I cover up, he covers up. We don't say anything happens. I will never forget the police officer's name. His name was uh, Officer Love. He came with another officer and they're like, oh, he hit you. I covered it up. All I wanted him to do was just leave. Like, I was just tired. I had no more energy. I wanted him to just leave for one night. Because I knew he had family, friends, or that he can stay with Mm -hmm. in the local neighborhood. Just leave me for one day. So I didn't want to put him in jail. In my word, it's okay, right? It's okay for you guys to get into this argument. It's okay for him to hit you here and there. A slap or two doesn't... It's, 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 no, everyone goes through it. Mm-hmm. This is my first marriage. I'm new to marriage. And why do I want to be different? So they asked him to leave. 
He left. I don't know where he went, but 30 minutes later, he comes back, knocking on the door, banging on the door. I need my jacket. I need my coat. And I'm like, okay, my mind, he's only going to pick up a jacket. He's only going to pick up a coat. He comes in, get his jacket. He goes in the kitchen and get like a silverware. I didn't realize it was a fork at that time though, until after what happened. He leaves. This is about like 10 o'clock at night. Three o'clock in the morning. And I remember it's three because I have police documents that said it was three o'clock in the morning. I get a, a knock on my door and it's the police. It's like three police cars outside. Like they're coming to get like someone that just robbed a bank. Mm-hmm. They're like, ma'am, you're under arrest. I'm like, I'm under arrest. What's going on? But you know what? The minute they said I was under arrest, everything clicked. Apparently, my ex-husband took a fork and abused himself. His report said I took a fork and I like scraped his neck with a fork. What? I was arrested that night for domestic violence. The way the law works in the United States, there's no gray area. Apparently, I didn't know that. It's who reports first. He's a victim. He reported. Why didn't I say anything when they came the first time? I can't claim he hit me because they came. And I said nothing was happening, that he didn't hit me, I didn't hit him, we're just arguing. So I spent a night in jail. It was Irvington local police station, mm-hmm. and it's pretty small. Like, mm-hmm. once they, like, they, they take you, they put you in a small precinct before they, like, book you into, like, the main location. I remember Officer Love and another officer laughing. And they're like, can you imagine? He just called back and said, can he go back home to sleep now that she's in jail? Like, they're like, what kind of man is this? He needed a good night rest. And he went back. Then they told him, yes, she's 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 here with us. He stabbed himself in the neck mm-hmm. with a fork. Mm-hmm. So that he can control the narrative mm-hmm. and spin the story yes. and you become the abuser. Yes. And this also goes into why he would call someone after he does something to me. Mm-hmm. He'll call and say, I did it. Because he needed people to think that I was proof. the abuser. He yeah. was building his yes. own body of evidence yes. against you. So my mom, he'll call. My sister, he'll, like, he'll call people on my side. That's the funny thing. After they booked me and after they found space for me, I went into the main holding where they hold everyone. Mm-hmm. God showed up again. I was the only one in the whole building. So at the time, I had a friend that was living in my basement. Like, mm-hmm. I had a room. So she knew. And, you know, she was trying to get me help. So I knew that my family would know because she knew what was happening. And, of course, she tried to fight him. She was so upset. But I can truly say I slept like a baby that night. Mind you, I'm claustrophobic. My officer love couldn't be with me anymore because this is not like the small holding cell in the office area. Mm -hmm. This is like the main office, you know, where you have to like check in, check in, check in. Mm -hmm. And this is only people that's in jail that can be there. I was there by myself and I felt like I was in the most luxurious hotel. Um, I got out the next day. He came and bailed me out. Can you imagine? He bailed you out. Yes, and officer love to the prosecutor on my behalf and my bill was $50. He knew I shouldn't have been there. My best friend came, attacked him, so they were like fighting almost in the middle of the street. He wanted to give me a hug. And so this is him putting on a show again. After he does that something like dramatic and crazy, like he'll want to like comfort me. Are you okay? Like nothing happened. So I remember walking across the street and my sister was waiting for me and I got in her car and I left and I stayed with her for a day. And I ended up in the hospital. Clearly sleeping on that wooden thing wasn't good for pregnancy. I had pains all over my body and I caught a respiratory infection. I was coughing blood. 
I was bleeding out of my nose. Yes. After a couple of days, I went back to my house. I went to my house and I started packing my things, you know. And at the time, he was using my computer, my, my, my laptop. I picked up my laptop and I opened it. And what do I see? Domestic violence immigration law. It all will start making sense to you now. The first time he put his hands on me, I went to City Hall and I got a divorce packet. I'm like, guy, listen, if you put your hands on me again, I would divorce your ass. I wasn't thinking about his immigration papers. I wasn't thinking that I would stop. In his mind, if this woman leaves me, my papers is on the line. After that first incident, he kept it in his mind. and like, I need to build evidence. If someone brings you into the United States and begins to abuse you and beats you and, you know, mistreats you, you can get your green card and citizenship without that person. That's why he needed to go to the hospital that day. That's why he needed to get me locked up for domestic and violence. And stab himself in the neck. This is why every time something will happen, an argument, he will call someone hmm. so they can testify for right. him. I remember just looking on my computer like... Oh my God. So this is what I will destroy you means. And he was using you and the things he was doing to you to build his, his case. case. That's why he needed documentation. I packed up my things. I went to my sister's house and then I went to City Hall to get a restraining order. I feel like I know the Jersey law of abuse but back in my hand at this point. Because apparently, I didn't realize the restraining order is not permanently. It's only good for like one week. The person has to come and defend themselves. And then they determine if you get permanently restraining order or not. So one week passed. He came. We went to court. And me, you know, being a woman, I'm pregnant. Obviously pregnant. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, judge, I just need to get away from this guy. We've been at it. The abuse is there physically, everything. When it was his time to talk, my ex-husband started crying. Judge, this woman has brought me into this country to beat me, abuse me. She tells me this is America, that this is a woman's land. By the time he was done, if the judge can get off his seat to give me a dirty slap, he would have. That judge ran me down. How dare you? Bring a man into this country and mistreat him? You don't feed him? Dismissed my restraining order. A few days after that, I had to go to court for my arrest. Because once you get arrested, you know, you, you, you post bail, but you still have to go. I didn't know any of this, you know? I never walked on the staircase of a police station all my years of being in this country, talkless of getting arrested. So I didn't know any of this. I found all of this out when everything happened to me. I had to go to court for my domestic violence hearing. So we had right. two hearings, the restraining order that I applied for and then my domestic violence case. After what he did for restraining order, I had to get a lawyer. Yeah. I'm like, yo, this guy's going to butch. I don't know how to lie. Yeah. Like, he is a professional liar. And he's been building evidence. He's whereas been you've been covering for him. And I've been ignorant. I went with my lawyer. And because he saw that I had a lawyer and everything, he dismissed. He, he said, I'm not pressing no charges. Like, yeah. So the, he dismissed <laughs> the case. Like, we didn't even have an opportunity. Mind you, now I spent money on a lawyer. But he knew he couldn't go with a, against a professional. Mm -hmm, of course not. Because... So he's like, but he, this is the way he twisted it. He's like, judge, I'd had time to think about it. I don't want to put my wife through this. She's pregnant with my child. I don't want to press any charges. So he's still the good guy. Ooh. So I filed for divorce and 
it's been hell ever since because he's done everything he can do to try to take my child from me. He has called Child Protective Services so many times to my house for so to the for point stupid where, reasons, for stupid reasons. Sure. To the point where like the Child Protective Service will come. She's like, I'm so sorry, I'm back here again. Like she knew me by name. Like we were, hey girl, hey girl, hey. Oh god. <laughs> you know? Because she was assigned to my house, my mm-hmm. address. It was like, hey, I'm back. She told me about a situation one time, like that someone called about a child being locked in the basement and then nothing happened. So they put a law that mm-hmm. they don't care. They call you 10 times. They still have to, they show. Still have to show up. Yeah. So that's why she's like, I'm back here. I'm sorry. And I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on lawyer's fees. I mean, I had a lawyer that was once a judge before. I've had like lawyer that I was spending $600 an hour just so I can keep my child. Because he will come up with all crazy reasons why I'm a bad mother. And you would think because he loves the girl. No. It's because he wants to spike me. He can't believe in his mind that I actually left the marriage. Mm-hmm. Like in his mind, like he's the best thing that ever happened to me. I was supposed to stay and take the abuse. He could not believe that this girl actually left. So where is he still here? So he's How able his- to use his archive of evidence to get his citizenship. Wow. It worked. Because obviously, I contacted immigration right away after I decided I was done. Sent them two letters, packages, evidence. I I was able to also like text messages. Yeah, because you said you still had text messages. messages. A lot of text messages. So they they did put his papers on hold. Mm -hmm. They did have a whole thing with him. But the way the stupid immigration system works, they don't contact you when you're doing that. Mm. He has, he now has to defend himself. Mm. So the entire time that he was going back and forth for immigration purposes in in Alaska or wherever he started living, I knew nothing about it until after they had already decided that they would give him citizenship. So they didn't contact you for your input, even though you were the person who contacted immigration. Not once. He had enough evidence. So he won his case. So he is a citizen. Okay, so to explain how he was able to successfully process his citizenship uh, by claiming that she abused him, we reached out to the attorney from episode one to shed more light on the process. My name is Lola Oyekin. I am an attorney and I'm happy to contribute. The thing is, if on paper it looks a certain way, that's what you have to present to whatever court, whether it's a state court, federal court, immigration court, or whatnot. What he was able to do, obviously he was very, very well advised, very, very well advised. What he was able to do was really play chess in this entire situation. He knew what he wanted to secure, and he knew that building up the phone calls and building up the, I've contacted people, I've done this, I've done that, he knew that was going to be to his benefit. And then he also knew the fact that, you know, in our culture, it's taboo to report people. It's it's totally, whether they steal from you, whether they, you know, financially, mentally, physically, emotionally abuse you, it's taboo for us to involve law enforcement, definitely in America, because it has a much bigger impact than it does anywhere else. So he knew the kind of person she was. So he, I mean, he knew from the day he proposed to her, he knew he found the right one. This was always coming regardless. The only thing that's unfortunate is she did not know that her not exacting her rights would then work against her. As it comes to immigration, the thing is you can file for immigration whether you've been abused or not. Typically, if you have been abused, there is what you call VAWA, which is the Violence Against Women Act. But VAWA can still apply sometimes to men. But what a lot of people don't realize is the way you violate 
immigration law as it pertains to marriage is that at the day, at the second, at the time that you got married, that it was illegitimate from the start. So abuse doesn't delegitimize a marriage. Fraud does. And that's the quote unquote loophole. That's the quote unquote technicality that a lot of people actually don't realize when it comes to thinking about marriage. Crystal clear example is if somebody has a spouse back home, let's say it was this kind of situation where he was already married back home. He starts macking her on Facebook and then marries her. Well, it was fraud from the beginning because he was already married. He never intended to marry at the time that he married her. He never intended to be married to her legitimately. You know, he always intended for there to be some sort of fraud in the situation. That's easy for the immigration court to look at or the immigration processors to look at and say, hey, this was fraud. Same thing if somebody was married underage, same thing if they gave you the wrong name, if they gave you completely false facts about themselves, right? However, if this is his first marriage, this is her first marriage, abuse does not delegitimize a marriage, basically. Abuse is unfortunately a regular part of people's relationships. And so that is the reason why somebody abusing you will not take away their ability to become a U.S. citizen. That's not giving advice to say you should go ahead and abuse somebody, right? <laughs> Let me let me be crystal clear. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is for all the people out there who are listening and think that, oh, well, he abused her. So he should definitely go back to his country. He should definitely go back to where he comes from. That's not the way it works. Criminal record is what will cause you to lose your visa status. And that would have to be a record of assault. But she never acted on that. Immigration, they're as busy as they are in general. The most you can do is report something to them. And the most they can do is investigate it. But I also feel like she was already behind in the game. There was nothing she was going to be able to report that was actually even going to help her. There was nothing, especially looking at the fact that she had even been arrested for assault against him. There was nothing. Like the best thing she could have done in retrospect, number one, she should have installed cameras in the house. The first second that she saw very strange stuff going on, she should have installed cameras so that at the end of the day, if he's saying, oh, I'm about to kill myself. Well, who's about to kill themselves? You were the one who pushed me. When did I say I was going to try to kill myself? When did I say I was going to try to injure myself? And just so who knows what, right? The cameras would have caught that. The second best thing she could have done is that friend that stayed in the basement probably should have gone to court with her for that restraining order, um, for that restraining order hearing, because that's why she got her ass handed to her by the judge. Because it was one person versus the other. But when you have a testimony and somebody gets sworn in for testimony, you swear under penalty of perjury. Very few people, when they know they can go to... By the way, that's what little Kim went to jail for for an entire year. Not the actual crime, you know, that she was called to testify for, but the fact that she lied about what happened. That's what she actually went to jail for. Most people knowing that there's a penalty of perjury will not lie. And so if she had brought her friend and her friend was able to swear in and say, this is what I have witnessed, blah, 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 blah. So much better. So the last time I was in court was June 18th of last year. This is the first time we're at a space where it's just, at least I'm making it about her. I don't talk to him on the phone. I haven't been on the phone with him for almost three years. Everything's via text message, via email. He didn't win trying to get full custody, but he has, he does get to have her like during the summertime, like two mm. months in the summertime. And the thing is like, I kind of, I want my child to know her father because mm. I want to believe that this is his behavior towards me. Mm. I don't 
want to be that parent because I know I have a very intelligent girl that she if she grows up and he is of course I'm going to protect her mm. at the same time if I see a reason for it but I don't want to be the initial thoughts in respect to my dad is evil my dad is bad because of what my mom has told me mm. if she's going to eventually have that mindset towards mm-hmm. him it needs to be from her experience or what she has gone through with him. Yeah. But, but I but trust and believe I will step in mm-hmm. if I see any abuses being happening. But the way narcissists are, they're... That's what I was going to ask yeah. you, is that do you think that he has the emotional wherewithal even? I mean, do you think that he's able to be a good parent? She's so young right now that mm-hmm. when he does see her, it's like vacation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like he's not, you know, it's like if I'm the narcissist and I have her every day, you know, it would be, can I be a good parent to her? Is it? But he sees her every other five months, you mm-hmm. know, so, and he sees her for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So he wants to be a good parent. He wants to show her all the love, which is what he's doing right now. Because she's a kid. She's, she's going to be five. But I do know when she gets to a certain age and she wants to, let's say he wants her to be a doctor and she wants to be a makeup artist narcissist you cannot do that with them Mm -hmm. you cannot be who you want to be you know Mm -hmm. and that's where he'll be showing who he is to his child Wow, that was a heavy story. Before we even get into it, let me ask you, because you you were new to this story, right? Yeah. So yeah. how do you how do you feel after having heard it? I don't know. I feel I feel so many things. I feel like things were just escalating so fast. Like mm. from the moment of them getting together, from him proposing, from him like you know, just showing him himself. You know, mm-hmm. like whenever you hear stories about things like this, most of the time at least the way it comes across is usually like somebody planning something and then taking their time processing this thing and just waiting to like show themselves but this one he just felt like he just came off like straight up and i just felt really weird about that you know i don't know if i agree that he came out the gate moving mad (laughs) you know i think he put in effort and then and then like if we go back to the beginning she talks about how he even used to visit her grandmother you know, because he knew that she had grown up with her grandmother and that was something that was important to her. And so he was doing a lot of these things that the psychologist would call love bombing, which is just to throw as much affection as possible at someone. I think she unfortunately fell for that. And I think that that is the nature of narcissists. That is actually what they do. They start to show themselves not too long after, but when they know that by then they know that they already have you hooked, hmm. you know? You're right, but it was just a lot. Like, and the part that keeps messing with me is him going all the way to injure himself and to like stab himself in the neck. Like, yo, is it ever that serious? <laughs> I, I don't know. It is. I have heard this narrative. It's not a new narrative, right? We're not, and this is a thing that's starting to happen. Where men in Nigeria will purposely target women in um other parts of the world that are like in the abroad basically and you know would do this type of what i would call i i guess i suppose a love scams for papers right but i think that what also happens in this story in particular is that 
the person that he was dealing with was someone who was well-to-do, you know? Like, the type of woman that she was, mm-hmm. she did not need him financially. She did not need to depend on him financially. And because of her background, you know, she had a completely different mindset in Nigeria. Because as you were saying it, it was occurring to me. If you think about it, in Nigeria, it doesn't matter how rich you are as a woman, you still have to be submissive to your husband. Whereas here, he probably got here and he's like, oh shit, that's not what it's supposed to be. And so even though he knows that her immediate community is still encouraging her to stay, he knows that the larger community and the laws, the way the law is set up, it protects women a whole lot more here. And so I think that is where the improvising came from. And I think that's why he he knew he needed to do that. What did you think about when she said, this is my first marriage, why would I want to be different from everybody else? In response to the abuse. The whole thing about marriage and suffering and all this, it's not a foreign concept. The reality is still that a lot of men abuse their wives mm-hmm. in, you know, in that setting. You have to understand also that the issue of tolerance and the issue of suffering is so ingrained mm-hmm. in our psyche on several levels. There's this whole thing that we have in our minds that if you don't suffer, then you, you don't really deserve the rewards. Mm. It's one of the reasons why deep down, many of us see the children of rich people and we resent them because we feel like they just enjoy like you didn't suffer. You're just oh, getting wow. from your parents. It's a whole thing why Yo. some people will, even down to the funny thing where you have an injury, you apply something for the pain. And if you don't feel more pain, you don't feel like mm. that thing is really working. Okay, let's say you have a cut, right? And, you know, disinfected. A lot of people associate the pain felt from disinfecting the injury as as it is working. And you look at that relationship of what we think pain is. Pain is effectiveness. Pain is, it's for our own good in the way that we put it. And you can also attribute that part kind of to religion and the the doctrine of all this thing. And when people go into marriages and the suffering is normal to them, I'm not surprised because if you've been brought up in that system, what else are you going to think? And I guess it also explains why then usually in these situations, the the community usually would tell the women to stay. The whole thing about marriage, the way we see marriage is, is really strange. We put so much value on, in my opinion, put so much value on bullshit. Like, <laughs> if you genuinely ask people, why do you want her to stay? from the outside Mm -hmm. none of it is going to be about her safety and that tells you everything you need to know so we've come to the end of this episode and we've we've had our little discussions we definitely want to hear what you guys think so please comment i've had some people sharing their thoughts in my dms that's also welcome that's also great but if we can just have the conversation going on a more uh, kind of grand social scale so we have our our instagram as well and so conversations can take place as well there and please leave comments give us a five star rating on apple podcast that's important and also leave a review on apple podcast tell your friends and let them know about the podcast um let them listen to previous episodes and get into it a lot of dope stories coming we can't wait nope. for you to be around to listen to them. You can follow me on Twitter at King Wale. That's K-I-N-G 
W-O-L-E. You can follow Timmy at Timmy underscore Neuron. That's T-E-M-I underscore N-I-R-A-N. And on Instagram, you can follow me on Timmy Neuron as well. There's no underscore. All right. Awesome. So yeah, follow our Twitter page at Moments Pod. That's Moments P-O-D. And follow us on Instagram at In These Moments Pod. If you have any story you want us to work on and listen to, get at us through any of those channels and send us an email at pitch at in Thank you for listening. We're going to be back listening. with you in two weeks. In two weeks. the next episode. Yeah. <laughs>